So, as some of you guys may know, the Friday episodes of this show are recorded earlier in the week. We cobble stuff together so you guys have something to chew on through the weekend. It's not designed to be a breaking news show, and yet... There is indeed breaking news, a big landmark case from the Supreme Court that isn't Roe versus Wade. Instead, it is a fairly landmark case involving guns. And so before we even start this show that was recorded earlier in the week, I'm going to give you guys a bonus interview. Stephen Gutowski of The Reload joins me now to talk about exactly what is and is not in this ruling, welcome back to the show, Stephen. Tell us about this ruling. Uh, uh, what 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 is it? What was the the law that it was uh, coming under uh, that was coming under consideration by the Supreme Court, and what happened? Yeah, so the Supreme Court on Thursday struck down New York's restrictive gun carry law uh, as violating the Second Amendment through uh, the Fourteenth Amendment, because that's how they have incorporated. Uh, the Bill of Rights to the states is through the 14th Amendment. But any, anyway, it's uh, found that New York's process for issuing gun carry permits was uh, unconstitutional because that process included uh, subjective judgments by state officials on whether or not the person applying had a, quote, good reason to need a permit. Um, and, and so effectively, it created this uh, this the standard that where it was you could get a different result depending on different uh, government officials looking at the same question and uh, and in practice of course it severely limited the number of people who actually received concealed carry permits in the state um, and so there's uh, according to the Supreme Court there's six other states that have this kind of law. And they will obviously also have to rework their laws uh, down the line in response to this. Um, but more importantly, though, than, than that, uh, although that will probably affect about 25 percent of the country, because even though it's only six states, it happens to be some of the largest states. New York, the pop- most popular states. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it isn't insignificant on its own, the, the direct ruling in the case. But what's perhaps more significant is the standard that they have now created for uh, gun cases going forward, or I shouldn't say created, more like elaborated upon. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, Heller uh, in 2008 was sort of the landmark ruling on the Second Amendment from the Supreme Court that established it was uh, an individual right um, to keep and bear arms. Uh, And and so they, they laid out their reasoning and how they came to that conclusion in that case. And uh, for for the next uh, you know fourteen years, it's been it's been quite a while now. Um, mm-hmm. There have been complaints from gun rights advocates that lower courts have been more or less ignoring uh, the the standards that they put together in Heller and in this case uh, Bruin, this New York case, the Supreme Court of the majority effectively agreed with that um, and uh, looked at the standard that a lot of lower courts have been using to uphold gun laws uh, over the last decade plus and criticized it and said it's not uh, acceptable. And instead that you have to, uh, when, when judging gun cases, you have to look at the text of the second amendment and then the sort of historical tradition of gun regulations from the time period where the second amendment was adopted. 
if that, you know, if that gotcha. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this not only affects immediately all these uh, uh, states that, from my understanding, and and I was reading your coverage and and a few other people, the the line here is uh, uh, shall permit versus may permit. Yes. Is that is that the terminology with with yeah. The, with, with the difference being that that may permit is you do everything that they ask you to do. You submit your form to the government and they may say, OK, you can yes. have a concealed carry permit. Shall permit is you as long as everything checks out on your requirements, they shall do it. And then there's constitutional carry, which is uh, congratulations when you were yeah. when you were born, you were allowed to conceal carry. Right. That's that's the basic breakdown. I mean, constitutional carry or permitless carry, you, you have to be legally allowed to possess a gun to yes. carry it, obviously. So you can't be, you know, a felon or or domestic violence misdemeanor convictions or, or things like that that would prevent you from buying guns in the first place. But but, yeah, that's a good breakdown. That's basically uh, how that works out. And so uh, I should note that the court did uh, up, didn't strike down shall issue permits. Uh, so you can still regulate gun yes. carry in the United States, it's just, you can't use the may issue standard that that has this like uh, subjective aspect to it. Um, you, you could, the shall issue permits are perfectly fine. And that's uh, well, right now, permitless carry is, is the dominant form that 25 States now have that, but the rest of them, other than these six are shall issue. So most, mo- most of the laws aren't going to change on a numerical basis. And, and, you know, 75% of the country won't have, won't experience any effects. But the other twenty five percent, where the, you know, in these six states, um, they'll they'll probably get a shall issue law sometime in the near future. Is what's the likely outcome? So, so let me just roll back here because I think that at least in some of the uh, reaction to this, it seems like people are getting a little confused. This was not about buying a gun. No, this was about what you can do or can't do with the gun outside of your home. Right. Yes. Yeah. And if you're getting like down to the very base level of what this does, Heller uh, was about owning guns inside of your own home. Okay. Um, And so it established, you know, the base level of what you can do inside your own home, which is to own the most common form of of gun used for self-defense. That's what Heller was saying, which was which is handguns, because Heller was about a total ban on handgun ownership. This is about what you can do with a gun, the base level outside of your home. So at the very least, the state has to, uh, you know, have a regulation that, um, you know, if you can prove that you're, you have the training they want and you pack the, pass the background check, they got to, they have to give you that, that permit at the very least. And, and, you know, Roberts, Roberts and Kavanaugh wrote a, a concurrence that sort of emphasized this even further, like shall issue laws are fine. Shall issue permitting is acceptable. Uh, the the Second Amendment is not literally an unlimited right that you can't have any yeah. regulations on. There there are a lot of different ways you can regulate the Second Amendment, just not in this particular way. I wonder whether or not you know trying to predict the next move because uh, Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, uh, was apoplectic in her press conference about this and uh, said she was going to call a legislative session. I wonder if immediately after reading the coverage of the ruling, the or maybe it was one of the concurrences that said, you know, that you are allowed as the government to designate safe spaces or certain yes. places for which you are not allowed to bring a gun. 
which made, immediately made me think, you know, like, okay, well, is 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 the New York legislative session going to declare New York State a a uh, well, a, a safe space? Well, the the ruling actually does directly uh, talk about that, okay, uh, and and effectively says, like, yes, you can make uh, you know, just sort of you hear when you talk about the First Amendment, you hear time, place, manner restrictions, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing is true for Second Amendment, basically, yeah. is what they're getting at. So you can restrict where people carry guns. Uh, so sensitive places like schools or court buildings or, uh, you know, things of that nature, maybe government offices, um, you know, can be restricted. Uh, that's that's consistent with what the court is saying. But you can't just make you, it can't just be a broad blanket like the the entire in the ruling. They talk the Thomas says like uh, or it might be Alito in the concurrence. But either way, they, they just say, you know, yeah, you can have these sensitive places, but the entire island of Manhattan can't be one. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, they've kind of already addressed that, but the way this has worked <laughs> I, I, out. That's why I, I joke, I joked on the, on the, on the Patreon episode that I did right after this came out, that it's going to be like, okay, uh, Manhattan, Brooklyn, and Queens are safe spaces. Right, Staten Island right. and the Bronx, you're on your own. Right. And look, just because it's, they're going to lose in court doesn't necessarily mean that New York or some of these other States won't pass laws that, don't fit with this ruling. Like sure. it'll probably take a while to get down to like uh, what you can and can't do. Uh, I mean, honestly, we already have uh, a template for this because DC and Illinois um, are, are ahead of the curve here because they had their laws struck down by federal courts yeah. a while back and they instituted their own shall issue laws. Uh, DC went through a whole progression. They had total ban on any kind of carry. There was, there was no permitting at all. They didn't even have may issue. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Then that got struck down. Uh, then they passed a May issue law, like what New York and Maryland okay. and, and Massachusetts have. Uh, and then that got struck down. And then they finally passed a shall issue law. Now, their shall issue law, though, is probably the strictest shall issue law in the country because their training requirements are, you know, 16 hours of training with uh, that includes range time, even though D.C. doesn't actually have a public range that you can go to. So you'll have to go outside this the jurisdiction to actually do that training. Yeah. Uh, but and then they have a lot of a lot of these areas that are off limits to carrying more more so than most other uh, jurisdictions. So um, the public transit, for one, uh, which, you know, if you don't have a car, it makes it kind of difficult, difficult to legally carry a gun in D.C., even if you have a permit. Uh, but yeah. also things like permitted events or events that should be permitted. So if there's a large gathering of people, basically, you, you can't carry it. Virginia has instituted that as well. Uh, so that's kind of a becoming a new thing um, that's maybe going to test the limits of this. But uh, D.C. has a special one for diplomats. So if there's a diplomatic convoy, somebody who's under protection. Uh, They're allowed to carry a gun. Yeah, you're you're not allowed if even if you're permitted to carry a gun within a certain um, distance of them. Oh, wow. And they, they travel around the city. So they kind of have these roaming gun free zones that pop up. Now, I think in practice, they have to, like, warn you first before they can just arrest you. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise you'd have to like run away from them. Like, it would be yeah, a very odd kind of game of uh, a tag. Yeah. But that gives oh, you an idea. I, of where I, I, I do. I do headed. wonder. Yeah. That uh, if they are, if everything is now shall permit, I do also wonder if now the line of what you need to do to get a gun will, will go up in response to this. Um, yeah. But it'll have to be an objective standard that applies to everybody. Yeah. Um, is sort of the bottom line. And then, you know, you, the federal courts will probably, there'll be litigation over all that, I'm sure. Uh, and it, whether it makes it all, you know, 
the Supreme Court's probably just going to stick to broad based issues. Like, yeah, if New York institutes like you have to have an hour or a year of training before yeah. you can get a permit. Sure. That's probably going to get tossed very quickly by the, the Supreme Court. But if but if it's like, oh, OK, D.C. requires 16 hours. All right. New York, we're going to require 18 hours. Yeah. Is this is the Supreme Court going to step in there? Probably not. Um, you know, it, it will, you'll have to see, wait and see exactly how it plays out. But my guess is they'll, these states that have may issue laws will end up like DC where they have the, they have shall issue, but it's on the high end of uh, what the requirements are. And they probably won't have reciprocity with other states. So if, if you have a Pennsylvania concealed carry license, it won't be good in New Jersey or, gotcha. or, or New York still. That's not part of this ruling. You don't, they don't have to recognize these other permits, but uh, and they they probably won't issue permits to people who live outside the state either would be another guess. Um, so that but that's that's where I think things will. That's yeah. Happen. And that, that, that's that's down the road. Those are those are the next fights in in the uh, interim. Hochul did mention, I believe it was either Hochul or mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, who mentioned that their public transit would would likely be designated safe spaces. So much, totally. much in the same way that 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 D.C. does. Uh, all right. Well, uh, uh, any anything else that that uh, would otherwise slip under the radar of this decision from your from your point of view? Well, I think that just the most important thing to keep in mind is like, yeah, those are the immediate impacts of this ruling, uh, and they'll be on the, these gun carry laws and the, and regulation over that. But the there's a likelihood that you'll see much broader impacts down the line from that change in how courts are supposed to decide Second Amendment cases. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to have a much broader impact, I think, because uh, basically it calls into question a lot of modern gun regulations that have been put into place since the 20th century. Like if they don't have an analog that goes back to the founding era or even to, you know, uh, the, the 14th Amendment's adoption, uh, they're going to become much more scrutinized, I think, now. Uh, there, although- there's now a legal plan of attack for organizations yeah. like the the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association to bring cases against these laws because of the guidance set out by the Supreme Court in this ruling. Yeah, it's much more specific now than it was in Heller. Uh, and it also rebukes the the steps that places like the Ninth Circuit have been using, the, the standards they've been using to uphold these kinds of laws. Yeah. So they'll have to, not that that's going to mean that the Ninth Circuit is immediately going to start ruling like uh, you know, the six, three Supreme court rules, they might find some other manner to uphold laws. I think that's pretty likely, but, uh, but it'll be much more difficult. And, um, uh, you know, the Supreme court's still honestly going to have to step in more than every decade if they want to, uh, you know, sort of swat down what some of the lower courts are doing in regards to gun law, gun litigation. But, uh, but it, it, yeah, it, it represents a major opportunity for gun rights advocates in this realm for sure. Well, uh, uh, and and uh, uh, most likely it'll be uh, the the second most talked about Supreme Court ruling, uh, uh, at least yeah. in terms of the press leading into it. Uh, uh, thank you, Stephen Gutowski of the Reload. Uh, uh, please go read his work, uh, uh, both on on this and and the gun rights bill. I think that you've done really excellent stuff, and and uh, for folks who just kind of want a a paint by numbers breakdown of what these things are, what they mean and the relevant quotes from the people that are are guiding these subjects. I think your writing is excellent on that. So everybody go check that out. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Stephen.
Appreciate it. And with that, back to our previously recorded episode already in progress. The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for June 24th, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you. We've got a couple big stories. One that is looking to 2024 and another that will almost certainly have some kind of effect on 2022. Ron DeSantis versus Donald Trump has been in the news over the last few days. We will dissect why and whether or not it matters. And currently making its way through the mechanisms of the Senate and eventually the House and route to the desk of Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. is the first piece of gun legislation that the United States has seen in over 30 years. What is in it? And what will be the arguments about it before it becomes law, which I suspect it will. And we will have a conversation with Tom Merritt uh, talking about all things tech, including whether or not TikTok needs to worry about more regulation efforts and a conversation that started when I was uh, in my normal guest slot on his program, Daily Tech News Show, about When is something secret and when is it public, specifically from a technological perspective? This is something that is of great interest to the FCC because there are rules permitting a political action committee from communicating directly or privately with a campaign. And yet, thanks to the Internet, things can technically be public without them being, you know, easy to find. All that. Before we start, though, I want to uh, uh, bring to your attention, uh, uh, boy, a a Florida man story for his age, Andrew Gillum. Uh, Longtime listeners to this show remember Andrew Gillum's name because we were very dialed in to his race against Ron DeSantis. Old heads will remember that both Gillum and DeSantis were underdogs in their primaries. They both won. This is in 2018 and then had a really, really, really tough fight. Rick Scott did not leave a particularly popular governor in Florida as a Republican. And so electing another Republican was going to be a challenge, specifically in a bit of a blue wave situation. And yet, despite the fact that there were whispers that Andrew Gillum was under investigation for campaign issues, money issues, he came within a half a point 
of beating Ron DeSantis. Talk about a sliding doors moment if Gillum had beaten DeSantis, especially what we're about to talk about in this episode. Since then, well, brother, things have not been kind to Gillum. He was getting the, you know, kind of Stacey Abrams treatment at the beginning. Sure, you lost, but it was close. What a shining new star we have found. Let's put him on CNN. Let's have him write a book. Oh, my God. Andrew Gillum was found in a South Beach hotel room with an overdose victim. And one of the people that talked about to the police what happened was a male escort whose email address included the phrase honey hammock. Well, Gillum continues to fall downhill. Indeed, he was indicted on Wednesday on several charges. The same thing that folks were worried about he was going to be indicted for when he was running for office damn near four years ago. Great Florida man moments. Andrew Gillum, this podcast salutes you. But first. So let's start here with Ron DeSantis. Politico says that he is not going to seek an endorsement from Donald J. Trump for his re-election bid in Florida. That is the 2022 race that Ron DeSantis is currently involved in. This is the exact verbiage, according to Politico. According to people uh, connected with the governor and the former president, DeSantis has not asked Trump for a formal endorsement and isn't planning to. It's a clear sign that DeSantis, who more than four years ago was a little-known congressman from northeastern Florida, has risen high in the GOP stratosphere. Now, immediately, this kind of set off alarm bells. DeSantis and Trump are tied at the hip. It was Trump's endorsement of DeSantis and specifically DeSantis's according uh, of it that really put him on the map, that, that made him not just another Rick Scott Republican. Ron DeSantis cut one of the most emasculating ads I have ever seen in politics, wherein he was teaching his child lessons about how to be a good person like Donald Trump, including building a wall with baby blocks. So why is this story out there? What is happening? Is this a preemptive strike because Trump wasn't going to offer DeSantis an endorsement? We've heard some kind of off the record sniping between the two of them. Well, not according to this Politico story. The Politico story says that DeSantis would get the endorsement should he seek one. I have the hairs on the back of my neck sticking up with this. And I'm going to get to why by the end of this segment. But let's just flag right here that I don't think the existence of this article precludes Trump from endorsing DeSantis or anything along those lines. But I got I got more theories. Let, let's let's keep driving down the idea that Donald Trump is possibly 
distancing himself from somebody that might be a head-to-head competitor in the 2024 Republican primary. And this story ran on Wednesday when another piece of information that could heighten that paranoia also came out. Here's a University of New Hampshire poll. Nikki Haley, 6%. Mike Pence, 9%. Donald Trump, 37%. And Ron DeSantis, 39%. Furthermore, with general election voters, they have DeSantis up one on Joe Biden in a hypothetical matchup and Trump minus seven against Joe Biden. This is the first time in a major primary poll Ron DeSantis has pulled ahead of Donald Trump. Previously, Donald Trump has been the unquestioned leader of the Republican Party by all available polling. Ron DeSantis, the head of an if Trump doesn't run category. But now, Big Chungus versus Captain Ron, well, it looks as if, at least in the Granite State, those folks are warming up more to the governor of Florida than the 45th president. But let me get to what I have heard whispered. Some of these whispers have been from people that might know. Some of these whispers have been from random bartenders who told me things that seemed like they made a little bit of sense because of connections they had. But this is consistent, at least amongst the whispers. And here's what I heard. Totally unconfirmed, unreported on rumor. Okay, so just put on your tinfoil hat and, and, and provide any qualifiers that you might want. But here's what I've heard. There is no rift between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. In fact, they are on the exact same page. And that page is this. Ron DeSantis is going to run for president in 2024. Donald Trump will not. So why is Donald Trump out here hinting about how he's going to run for president? And you have all these rumors of, uh, oh, is he going to announce before the, the midterms or after the midterms? Here's why. Because Donald Trump can't raise money to fund the races he wants to fund and continue to run the political operation that he does now if he says he isn't running. As we all know on this show, all power is future power. So he's got to say he's doing it until he says he does it. So do I believe that? Well, if I did, then it would mean that stories like this are being deliberately leaked to the press so there can be a little bit of intrigue between these two candidates. And at the very least, they could solidify themselves as the top two in that no doubt crowded primary field, considering how weak Joe Biden is, if indeed he runs. But I don't know. I'd sooner try and jump over the moon than understand what Donald Trump is thinking. I do believe that Ron DeSantis is definitely running. And I also buy that he's becoming a more popular politician than Trump. If just because Ron DeSantis has a record on things that have happened within the last two years, Donald Trump doesn't. 
And he's not even staying in the public eye in the same kind of way because he doesn't have social media. So while he will always be a focus of the Democrats, because the Democrats want and desperately need and miss him, I don't think for Republicans, they want to hear about 2020 drop boxes and 2000 mules. They want to hear about the inflation rate and critical race theory. That's what Ron DeSantis has done. He is a magnet for the moment. And as much as I like to joke about the fact that he's got trigger laws on the books for anything that's in the A block of Tucker Carlson, that is something that makes him vibrant, that makes him current, that makes him now. He's so 2000 and late. Trump is 2008. If I were to bet, I would say that Donald Trump endorses Ron DeSantis and they both say that the news is fake. Beyond that, it's anybody's guess. But if they both run, oh boy, do we have a heavyweight contest that is going to last for a while. And the beautiful thing about both of those political battle machines is that they are not afraid about trading paint. They will go at each other very hard. Oh, just got a shiver up the back of my spine. The bipartisan gun bill has uh, begun making its way through the Senate. It will eventually make its way through the House. It will face some resistance there, but the Democrats have enough votes to advance it. It's going to hit the desk of Joe Biden, and Joe Biden is going to sign it into law. This is the product of Kirsten Cinema, John Thune, John Cornyn, and Tom Tillis. I'm going to crib notes here from our guest the other day, Stephen Gutowski of The Reload. I can't recommend his work uh, highly enough. He uh, writes in a very plain style that I very much appreciate and is is very good about laying out issues that I, I know for many of us, we are not devote followers of the Second Amendment issues and debates unless there is some kind of horrifying issue at hand. Uh, so I greatly appreciate and I recommend that you go to thereload.com and and read his breakdown if you want uh, a more detailed version of what I'm about to give you. But this is what is actually in the bill, right? Not the framework, not the no more dot, dot, dots. This is what's in the bill. First things first. It will be made illegal for anyone to knowingly sell guns or ammunition to anyone who has a juvenile record that includes felony conviction, domestic violence, misdemeanor conviction, or an involuntary commitment after the age of 16. Until now, those prohibitions only applied to adult records. The bill creates a special background check process for 18 to 20 year olds under the special uh, uh, under this special process. The FBI's, uh, FBI's National Instant Criminal Background Check System, or NICS, would be required to contact the juvenile criminal record system in the buyer's state, the state's mental health record custodian, and, quote, a local law enforcement agency, unquote, where the buyer lives to check for disqualifying juvenile records. Nix then has three days to tell the gun dealer whether it found cause to further investigate the buyer's background. If so, Nix can then take up to 10 days to do an investigation. At that point, the gun can be sold, even if Nix has not made a determination. 
That is standard procedure as of now, the way I understand that law. The process is similar to the current procedure for when Nix identifies potential disqualifying records and doesn't have immediate access to those situations. Uh, the text says that Nix must return a result on whether it found reason to believe the buyer has disqualifying juvenile records as soon as possible, but the new process appears likely to result in sales for 18 to 20 year olds being delayed more often. The entire specialized background check process is set to expire after 10 years. However, disqualifying juvenile records will still remain in Nix after that point. So I'm going to pause here and say the one thing that is confusing to me about that is it's 18 to 21 year olds that will have their juvenile stuff in there. I, I wonder whether or not if you don't try and buy a gun at 21, then does that get added to your file? I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'll have to do more research here. Moving on. The bill expands the definition of domestic violence. So this is the boyfriend loophole you might have heard of that in, uh, that now will be referred to as, quote unquote, dating relationships. It applies to anyone who is convicted of a misdemeanor violent attack. Uh, they are or recently were in a and I'm quoting here a continuing serious relationship of a romantic or intimate nature. The text says whether the relationship falls under this definition will be determined by its length, nature, as well as quote, frequency and type of interaction between those involved. It specifically rejects any, quote, casual acquaintanceships or ordinary fraternization in a business or social context as part of the definition. So I'm going to pause on, on the reading here. The boyfriend loophole was criticized because and the way the law stands now, if you're commit, uh, uh, convicted of a domestic violence incident, with somebody that you either live with, are married to, or have kids with, then you are not allowed to buy a gun. The boyfriend loophole was, okay, well, what happens if you are all but married, but you don't live together and you don't have kids? That's the boyfriend loophole. So this is looking to close that. The fight that was happening with this specific language leading up to it was, well, exactly what constitutes a boyfriend and what stops that from being your work boyfriend, from, from being your best friend, from being somebody else, blah, blah, blah. We go back to the reading. And additionally, anyone barred under the new dating relationship provision would also be automatically eligible for the record to be expunged and removed from the background check system after five years if they don't commit any further crimes during that time period. The clemency would not extend to misdemeanor domestic violence offenses against spouses or children that are already prohibited for life under federal law. The expungement of dating partner records appear to be part of the concessions made to Cornyn and other Republicans during negotiations. His request to extend or sorry, expand uh, funding intended to encourage states to adopt red flag laws out of other kinds of state crisis intervention programs made it into the final deal as well. All right. Speaking of red flag laws, here's what's in it about that. States can request grant money for crisis intervention programs, including, quote, mental health courts, drug courts and veterans courts 
instead of red flag programs. Additionally, in order uh, for a red flag law to qualify for funding, it has to include due process rights that prevent any violation or infringement of the Constitution and, quote, have any evidentiary standard in line with a similar federal court proceeding and penalties for, quote, abuse of the program. And finally, last two points here. The bill creates a new and potentially redundant crime for purchasing guns for others who can't legally own them for gun trafficking. Both of those offenses are already illegal under federal law, although critics often complain about low prosecution rates associated with current prohibitions. If you remember our conversation with Stephen a few weeks ago, or last week rather, this is a bugaboo for legal gun owners, is that What's the point of creating new laws if we're not enforcing the laws we currently have? Finally, the deal reworks the standard for when people legally selling firearms are required to obtain a federal license. The standard will be changed from those who sell guns, quote, with the principal objective of livelihood and profit to those who sell, quote, predominantly to, quote, earn a profit. The text further defines that as somebody who sells guns with the goal of obtaining a pecuniary gain instead of somebody who has the goal of improving or liquidating a personal firearms collection. Look, red flag laws and the boyfriend loophole are probably the two biggest sticking points. Any kind of qualification to what some voters assume to be a constitutional right is going to be something that uh, will have pushback. I suspect that this will get uh, pretty loud on the right, that John Cornyn will get a lot of crap. John Cornyn is very pumped that he does not have to face a re-election for another five years. And I think that that'll be about it. I don't think that red flag laws are necessarily going to be something that we talk a lot about, largely because a lot of states have them and they are not the house on fire situation that I think some folks on the the two way side are making this out to be, especially considering the fact that voters in red states will still have control over exactly what laws go in and whether or not they want to prohibit them. I think that the most political action you are going to see on this are local politicians, state politicians saying that they will never have a red flag law and and that being a way to politically virtue signal. And then that'll be that. And look, I might be uh, have political brain worms, but I kind of think that this is more of a win for the senators that put this together than it is consequential to the American people. I think it's still going to be plenty easy to get a gun. And ultimately, the blue states will make it really annoying and the red states will make it very easy. But for John Cornyn, for Kirsten Cinema, for Thune, for Tillis, I think this sets them up as power players, especially Kirsten Cinema. Keep an eye on that one. Ladies and gentlemen, this show only exists, only exists because of you, you, you who had to take politics seriously, 
Bitcoin.com. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world today. Inflation is no joke. The price of food is no joke. The price of gas is no joke. The rent is going up. It's expensive to fly around. And yet, knowing all that, the fact that any of you decide to peel off just a little bit so you can support independent political analysis, that you can fund my hunt to look for new and clarifying voices on the subjects for which you have endless, mind-numbing, stupid content produced about. It just makes me very happy. It makes me very happy that I can make my living doing this. It makes me happy that when when I'm going to leave for a few weeks, I get to pay talented people to be here for you so you don't miss a second of your content that you have come to expect. It makes me happy that I'm going to go to Wyoming and cover Liz Cheney's primary. It makes me happy that I'm definitely going back to Pennsylvania so I can see Oz and Fetterman. That I might go to some of these other Senate hotbed seats. Might have to go back to Georgia. See Raphael Warnock. Herschel Walker. All of that exists because you want it to. Thank you. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week. In fact, this was uh, uh, something that, that Heaton told me the other day, just to just to put the context in. That, you know, look, $3 a week is something that is, you know, when you add it up for the month, yeah, it's, it's 12 bucks. It's, it's more than you pay for certain streaming services and stuff like that. But think about it like this. If four times a week I was just in your car, just a dude telling you about all the stuff I, I found out about politics over the last few days, I did that four times a week. Would one of those days, one of those four days, if I asked you to buy me a cup of coffee, would you do it? I think most of you would. And if you do that, well, it's even easier to do it via Patreon and TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's really all it is. Now, of course, if you want to take it to the next level, you can do the $10 tier. You can get your name read at the end of this show. So I would say at the end of sitting in all of your cars, I would say the name of everybody who uh, bought me, you know, a, a cup of coffee and one of those expensive little snack boxes from Starbucks. It's just that simple. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Thank you very much. Our guest today needs no explanation. He is the Dean of Tech News, an internet pioneer, and no doubt a Hall of Famer in the world of podcasting. It's not a joke. He's actually in the Hall of Fame. The one, the only, Daily Tech News Show's Tom Merritt. Welcome to the show, Tom. It's wonderful to be back. TikTok. Boy, howdy. There was that moment during 2020 when uh, we thought that they might be 
banned. They were going to have to have all of their uh, data processed via Oracle. Trump loses the election. Everyone forgets about it. And then the old Wall Street Journal reporting internal uh, uh, deliberations within TikTok that might restart some of these same fears that it is a Chinese spyware app. <sighs> yes, yes. Uh, I I suggested to Justin that he just uh, do what any good engineer would do and make this object oriented and point to our conversations from 2020 <laughs> <laughs> and just use an include tag uh, on that. But but then there's a few other wrinkles here that yeah. that weren't a, a, around back then. So uh, yeah, they they uh, Buzzfeed. Wall Street Journal uh, uh, are both reporting on recorded conversations from within TikTok about U.S. data. Yeah. Uh, the thing that's actually happening is that they are going to use Oracle servers to store U.S. private data. Okay. Now, let's set, so let's set the expectation this, this, right so this, up top. This was set up from... That 2020 kerfuffle. So that did yeah, go through. It sure it follows on from that. The, the 2020 kerfuffle was going to have like Oracle own a piece of the company and all, yeah. all that part is gone. But Oracle did end up with a contract out of hey, this. Hey, look at that. Hey, you know, so that ain't bad for Oracle. Uh, and when we're talking private information, we're talking about your phone number, your yep. birthday, maybe your email address. It's not a lot. To be to let's be clear, like anything that's publicly information, like your username, the videos you post, uh, the things you like, anybody that anybody could see, that's not part of this. This is just the stuff that you wouldn't make public is going to be stored on Oracle's data center in the United States. That's a slight difference from what has happened before, which was it was stored on ByteDance servers in Singapore and yeah. the U.S. So this is ByteDance doesn't own the servers. Uh, they're renting them from Oracle and it's only going to be in the U.S. They're, they're going to have backups in Singapore for a while, but the point is eventually migrated all uh, over to Oracle. Now, according to BuzzFeed, this is just bare metal, uh, which means ByteDance is still running all their own software. Oracle's yeah. not involved in running the software. Oracle's just providing the space on the servers and the security that protects them. Yeah. But otherwise, this is just ByteDance doing a copy, you know, an image, like take the server that we had at our ByteDance server in Santa Monica and send it over there to that Oracle server over there. Now, let, let's just rewind a little bit for folks that have not followed this story as closely as we have. The worry here is that ByteDance, a Chinese company, that anything that goes to ByteDance-owned servers, no matter where they are in the world, are going to because of how companies work in China and, and fears uh, uh, justified or otherwise that the Chinese government can effectively demand whatever they want from any company in China at any time through either direct channels or indirect pressure uh, that American data should be stored here because it would be, be further siloed away from that pressure. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, Whenever I try to pin down what the actual fears are, they they sort of tend to boil down to but China, because uh, honestly, Apple, Microsoft, 
even Google, they don't run their search engine in China, but they've got, they had ad sales offices yeah. there, Facebook. Uh, everybody if in the U.S. is in China and is storing data in China. They don't store U.S. data in China. They store and Chinese fact, data in China. They don't yeah. store Chinese data anywhere else but China. Yeah. However, if you're really worried about the Chinese government getting access to data, I guess you would be worried that they would demand access, not whether it's in the country. In other words, could someone from the Chinese government go and say uh, that Tom Merritt said mean things about us on Daily Tech News Show? Uh, give me all his data. It doesn't matter if my data is stored in China or on Oracle servers. If the person they're talking to in China can tippity tap, pull it up and hand it over. Right. It doesn't matter what server is on. So there's a lot in these articles about having conversations of who's allowed to access it. Gotcha. Because if only U.S. TikTok employees can access it, then it's a lot harder for a Chinese official to force them to do it. If it's a Chinese uh, citizen that has access to it, then there's a lot more pressure that they can use and legal things that they can use. Uh, that's where the story to me becomes uh, companies that grow really fast don't always know where all their data goes and how all their tools work because person who wrote tool may not work there anymore. Uh, that That's what I get from a lot of these smoking gun conversations is not, well, we found that there was a back door that could yeah. be used. What we hear is like, I don't know. There's a lot of things in this tool. And I don't understand what they do. And they could be used as back doors, which I'm not saying that that's great, but that's also not unusual in companies that have grown as fast as TikTok to be like, hey, we build a lot of tools. Some of the functions we asked for are still in there and we're not sure who has access to those functions anymore. So there's a lot to unwind. It doesn't mean there isn't anything nefarious going on, but it also isn't evidence that there is. Where is TikTok in the landscape of social media companies because it it feels like we are you know not even in 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 the settling and maturing element of 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 our social media world we are long past the world of 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 everlasting growth for everybody and everything is chaotic and we have no idea where the ceiling is feel like we found the ceiling and now companies are are not only being forced to grow up and be profitable but also uh, uh you know in the case of twitter seems to have hit the end of the road of of not being an, an object for sale for which they have kind of been rumored about forever. Yeah, I I think that is where the conversation of TikTok tends to not go in the direction that I would think would be most concerning. Uh, TikTok is growing. TikTok is making more and more money. TikTok is making the moves it needs to move to do to make money, including trying to integrate shopping, uh, mm-hmm. trying to facilitate easier brand deals uh, for people. I have a good friend who makes good money on TikTok, but TikTok doesn't get any cut of it because all of his brand deals go directly to the sponsors. And TikTok is doing some smart things to say like, okay, maybe that's that works for that person, but you know, we can make it so that we will get a cut of some of these deals going forward, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so TikTok is on the rise. TikTok is something to look at as a growing company versus Twitter and even Facebook that have, have sort of stagnated. And where TikTok could be 
most threatening is not with your private information. To be honest, if China wants to find out any of my, that private information, my phone number, my, you know, my, my email address, my home address, whatever, they can buy it from a data broker. It's out there. It got, it got leaked in some other site somewhere. They don't need to go put a legal order. In fact, it would be the, one of the more difficult ways to get that data would be to try to get it out of ByteDance. What they could do though, is say, to TikTok, to ByteDance, we would like your algorithm to nudge this message a little more and nudge this message a little less. Because the magic of TikTok, if you haven't used it, is that you don't pick what you see. While while you do follow people and there is a a tab of people that you're following that you can look at, what most people look at is what's called the For You tab, which is we've noticed what you seem to like. Let's give you more of that. With apologies to the South African Sams and the Auntie Donna troop, uh, uh, it knows what you want because you lingered. You lingered, Mark. You lingered. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in fact, it's kind of spooky if you ever use it, how quickly it catches on and st- yes. you can steer it. I used to get a lot of iPhone tips because I looked up an iPhone tip once. Uh, then my wife started posting regularly and I started liking her stuff and suddenly I was getting a lot of stuff that was similar to what she was posting. So yeah. it's it, it can adapt. And that's something that moving the U.S. data to Oracle servers isn't going to do anything about, right? There, There's no transparency into the algorithm and because it's a proprietary company. And that is the value of their business is that algorithm. Well, you've done a very good job, as you always do on Daily Tech News Show, for which, by the way, somebody pointed out, and I do need to do the disclosure since we are always very good at disclosures. I kind of assumed everybody who's listening to this show knows that I am a regular contributor on Daily Tech News Show. But if you did not know that I am a regular contributor and Tom pays me money weekly to be on the show, then know that I get paid to be on Daily Tech News Show. That being said. You've done a and, good. And, well, I think we should also disclose, Justin, that I don't get paid to be on here right you now. Don't. So, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, in fact, I, I often hit up Tom within 24 hours notice of relying on a personal favor to have him give me free content. I, I, I'm not trying to throw Justin under the bus. No. I just, you know, for purposes of open discourse. Although I guess we can say now uh, that uh, I announced Bill Share was going to be one of our guest hosts while I'm out of the country. Another guest host will be Tom Merritt and you will get paid for that. And so we'll congratulations. Get paid for that. So yeah, yeah. I will say whatever Justin wants me to say when he's paying me that time. <laughs> so follow me beyond your sober technical analysis down the rabbit hole of the political world because there was no doubt that TikTok became a political thing during a presidential season. Uh, it was a a culture war issue of aren't you worried uh, uh you know, that your kids are spending too much time on this mysterious app that you don't know so much about. Did you know it was owned by China? Uh, China was an issue that both uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden were hawks on. So the idea of going after TikTok was something that for voting members of society was was a fairly uh, slam dunk kind of thing. Now we find ourselves two years later You've got a president that is underwater in a lot of key metrics, specifically underwater with parents, uh, many of whom are upset for various educational issues, some resulting to the lockdown, some about more culture war stuff. Boy, would it be a a sister soldier moment for Joe Biden to all of a sudden rekindle some of his China hawk uh, uh, energy and say, no, you want to know what? I do think TikTok should be banned. 
I doubt he does that. Uh, that that is that is a move that 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 only one president seems uh, <laughs> to have the courage to make, uh, and and a move that was made simply for the effect. Uh, I imagine that people organizing on TikTok to to sign up for a rally they didn't go to to, to try to embarrass him may have played a little bit. Yeah, I, that. Th- I think that was that was overblown, and that I was, think it's that overblown. Was, that, that was the issue in Tulsa. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the bigger deal is. China owns this very popular app. It's also very popular with a lot of people who aren't in my base. And whenever that happens, people are suspicious. Why is that so popular? I don't use it. What is it really doing? Also with technology, you can say a lot of things like, but the data is in their hands and that can mean a thousand different things, but you don't have to specify to make people pay attention and go, well, I don't like the data being in their hands. So it's, it's ready made for some kind of controversy. On the other hand, if the sitting president, Joe Biden, were to uh, try to ban TikTok, a lot of his base loves TikTok. A lot of his base does understand TikTok. And I think it would be quite unpopular for him to try to ban TikTok. Oh, I think Uh, it would be unpopular, but much in the same way that it was unpopular for a for Bill Clinton to criticize a a rap artist, you know, when when he's counting on when he's counting on a lot of black votes. He did not sure how much bump he gets from the Democratic base, similar to what President Trump uh, got from the Republican base. Yeah, I I think it would be independence. It would be people for whom are just upset at the Democratic Party for various other reasons, largely because they are raising kids and they don't feel like their kids are being raised in the right place. And so if you do a thing that is specifically for them, this is like school uniforms or something like that. Like, yeah. like, like the problem is when, when president Trump went after TikTok, the, the demo was still very young and a lot of people didn't understand it. I think in the past couple of years, more adults have gotten onto TikTok. and more adults enjoy it and think of it as their happy place. I had, so a friend of mine who is older than me tell me the other day TikTok is their happy place. Uh, so I, I don't know that they get the same effect. Uh, in fact, I don't even know if President Trump would get the same effect. So then let's get back to where it wound up with Trump, because as much as there was a lot of sturm and drawing about, oh, it's going to be banned on Friday. Get your final for you page uh, uh, sessions in. It never was, and it wound up getting back to this larger thing that I did wonder whether or not it was a trend specifically in a climate that is unfriendly or at least does not business-wise look at China as the world of infinite growth. And I do think that that has changed also over the last two years. That's true, yeah. That beyond manufacturing, China uh, was once looked at both in tech and entertainment as, wow, a billion people that that we could sell uh, American entertainment to. Let's do it. And American technology too. And you can, but you got to play by China's rules. And uh, uh, China, I think the, the belief that, oh, they'll soften. They'll let us keep pushing things. They'll let us own more of things. They'll let us distribute more stuff there. No, we have found the edge of where China will allow things to go. Oh yeah, and- President Xi turned that boat around, right? Yes. It, it, it was happening. And it would have been, in my opinion, what do I know? In my opinion, would have been smart for China to continue to soften and and manage that slow transition. President Xi uh, differed uh, and has taken the country in an entirely different direction uh, that doesn't allow for that kind of softening that you're talking about. So then the question became, 
and this is where it ended with TikTok is, okay, well then why don't, why aren't we making China play by China's rules? Why do we have more of a lax uh, uh, opportunity for, for, for them to not uh, uh, mandatorily partner with an American company? And that's where the Oracle, you know, like sell half of uh, uh, yeah. uh, TikTok to Oracle stuff came. It was a little bit of like, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Yes. Fine. If you're going to do that, then we'll make your big company do that. The, the difference is we're not putting it as a policy. All Chinese companies must do that because there are too many Chinese companies that we like. Yeah. Uh, you never hear, even when you're talking about Huawei, uh, which we single-handedly crippled. Uh, if you don't know, the United States puts sanctions on Huawei that prevent anyone, including companies in other countries, from selling any kind of chip or technology to make chips to Huawei, specifically Huawei, uh, uh, even if that 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 intellectual property or any of that that technology has roots in the U.S. So TSMC, a Taiwanese company, can't sell chips to a Chinese mainland company because TSMC is using intellectual property that's licensed through companies in the United States. Uh, we allowed Huawei to sell off its cell phone brand Honor, but that's still a Chinese company yeah. and Honor is still making phones and they're selling phones and using Google's stock Android. And, and we didn't go after Honor. We went after ZTE, but we didn't go after a lot of other companies like Xiaomi. Uh, and in fact, the biggest one I like to bring up is Lenovo. People think of Lenovo as, oh yeah, it's the old IBM laptops under a different name. And yes, Lenovo does have a headquarters in the United States, very similar to ByteDance and TikTok. Yep. But Lenovo is a Chinese company. And and no one ever goes after Lenovo the same way because it doesn't win you points to go after Lenovo. People think of Lenovo as good, solid laptops, which they are. Yeah. So you don't think that 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 there is any possible return to the the uh, good for the goose, good for the gander, uh, uh, unless unless I guess with, with the caveat that let's say we we have a Ukraine situation with Taiwan in a year or something. Oh I, sure, I, I, yeah, I get, that, I get that, that would that change point, all the rules. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I think at that point we would probably see some tightening. Well, of the Novo screws. suffers if that happens. Like yeah. everybody, everybody that that changes everything. But yeah assuming that nothing dramatic like that changes, which these days seems like a really bad idea to assume that things won't change, but let's assume that it does it for the simplicity of this argument. I only think the good for the goose, good for the gander, or we're going to go after a Chinese company happens in specific cases where something's getting big. That'll score you points. Uh, yeah. I don't think you're going to see any blanket. Uh, we're going to require every Chinese company to store their data no, in the United no, States. No. Although I am, I'm leaving the door open for my, for my Joe Biden school uniforms uh, uh, thing with, with some TikTok uh, uh, restriction or demand. And or in something fact, like that. to fight inflation, we're seeing pressure on the Biden administration to drop tariffs. Some of the, so a lot of the tariffs that were put in place by president yeah. Trump have remained. Uh, and there's finally some pressure to get rid of those to bring some prices down which the economy will make you do funny things you know joe yeah. biden was out there talking about how he was going to make saudi arabia the uh, pariahs that they are yeah. he's on a trip yeah. to saudi arabia next week he, he said he was tougher on china than than trump thinking about dropping the chinese tariffs and it's all because of inflation i don't think yeah. that biden does any of that if, if these core metrics aren't what they are 
a funny thing happened on the way to transitory inflation. It stuck around. <laughs> exactly. Like a bad house guest, uh, uh, transitory <laughs> inflation just, uh, just, just kept hanging out. Shouldn't you be going home? I'm just going to get bigger. <laughs> Uh, I did want to have this conversation because we've, we've gone back and forth on this idea that's more of a philosophical one. There was a, a complaint filed with the FCC, uh, sorry, no, the, the, uh, FEC, sorry, the Federal Elections Commission about the relationship between the super PAC founded by and funded by Peter Thiel and the campaign of JD Vance in Ohio, specifically there was a medium account that was public technically in that anybody could type in the URL to it and they can find it. And by the way, you can still find it now. It is still up, uh, but was not Googleable, was not searchable on, on medium. The reason why is because it is illegal for a super PAC to communicate directly with a campaign, but if you are doing it in public, it is okay, which leads to the philosophical question, what on the internet is public and what is private? And obviously, there is a technical answer to that, which is if you have the URL, technically it is public. But I wanted to ask you, Tom, you know, we've been on the internet for a long time. We've we've seen a lot of uh, philosophical questions of exactly, and we've seen things shift. Things change on the internet very very fast. What we might have thought as public, you know, uh, before, we now probably think because of the obscurity of the massive information is more private. Do you think that those medium pages, not technically, but morally, internet morals, was it public or private? I, I've been thinking about this uh, a lot since we we first saw that story and talked about it uh, to each other. If I were the judge, I would want to know the answer to this question. Uh, if this is public but hard to find, how did they find it? Yeah. So So to me... If I can get a decent answer on that, I don't have to answer the the thorny moral question of like, you know, is a URL falls in the forest and no one's around. Does anybody know it got clicked on? Uh, I it it would be behoove a case to go after. How did you find it then? You turned off all of the search. You turned off all of the indexing. Uh, you basically made it so that if anyone knew the URL, they could get to it. But that's the only way they could get to it. Then how did they get to it? Because then the communication of that URL becomes the actionable part of that becomes the the thing you can say, well, all right, since you gave them that URL and that URL had to be given for someone to find it. I don't think it no longer meets the spirit of the, the definition of public, right? Because other than that, I start to run into security through obscurity is not security. Yeah, uh, it only works for so long. And there are lots of ways someone can find something out. They can just guess. Uh, they can hack URLs. They can create a script that's like, give me medium URLs and just run through all the combinations until I you pull up one that has these keywords on it. Uh, so in the broad sense of could you keep this from being found? No, there's lots of ways people could find it without you telling them. Yeah. Uh, so I go to specifically like, well, is that what happened? 
And, and, and then if they're like, yeah, they had a script and they, they just went through medium. Why did they do that? That is a fair thing to ask in court who gave them the idea to do that. Uh, I, I think you go after that because what's going on is somebody's trying to get around the rules. And if you're a judge, you're trying to see if the rules still apply in any other way. And this is something that happens regularly. And, oh, sure. And, yeah. And it, it is, it is because of McCain Feingold that super PACs cannot talk to campaigns this of course has led to the uh, that happens almost exactly as the internet starts to get bigger and bigger and now the easiest way to store your information in real time also becomes the easiest way that you can pass it quote unquote publicly while having it not be in in front of everybody i mean i guess if i were an originalist i might look at it and say you said public the word public means it's out there this is out there sorry it's public. And, but if and by I, the way, that, that Daily Beast article did, they didn't name the campaign. I'm going to assume it was Josh Mandel, the guy who lost to J.D. Vance, which is why they're complaining about it. But they found these pages early in the process, which also thought I thought was just made them such whiners that it's like, wait, so you had the plays they were going to and run how and did you still they lost. find them too, right? That's and, the other thing. Who tipped them off? Who gave them the URL? Did they run a script that or, just discovered yeah, or, them? Or is it just a script? Because I would assume that, that until you said that, I hadn't thought of it that like, oh, that that's what they would do. They would just, you know, uh, uh, run a script that that says, you know, all these keywords that they would be looking for. And then uh, like once you find it, when you go to the link, you know, you can you can clearly tell what this is. And it's it's a yeah, breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> it's effectively campaign emails between the two companies saying, here's what we're looking at. Here's what our numbers say. Here's what we believe that your, your talking point should be because the, the pack hires all the big talent, the pack hires, the campaign, the, the, the big money campaign directors, the big money, uh, uh, well, maybe not the campaign directors, but strategists, pollsters, uh, uh, editors, they, they do all their own kind of stuff because they can spend more and, 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 uh, uh, they have an unlimited amount that they can spend with it, with a pack. So, uh, I think that the idea of the script is, is fascinating because that also means that, yeah, nothing is sacred. That means everyone's going to run a script for every race. Yeah. And, and, and now, and- now it's just whack-a-mole on which public blogging service you're using. I'm hypothesizing that a script could be written. Uh, maybe there's something about medium that makes that difficult uh, or whatever. But, Hackers, get uh, back to me. Script kiddies, I, yeah, get back I feel to like me. That's, I want to know if this is possible. Likely possibility. And there's several avenues. I, I suggested guessing URLs, which could be problematic because there's real words in the URL. But I'm also guessing there's IDs and other ways and logs and things that are publicly accessible that you could get. So fact, I'm, I, I, I'm I might, just I might pay a bounty. A I might offer a standing <laughs> bounty if people want to find these things for me while these campaigns are going on. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. I would yeah. I because they're I findable. Hunt. If they're not protected, if they're not password protected, they're absolutely findable. Ooh, what do you think my bounty should be? How much do you think this is worth? Uh, do you still have those uh, coins that you give people? Oh, you buy them a drink? Yeah, I'll, yeah. You'll yeah. get five jury will buy you a drink tokens. Uh, uh, in fact, that'll be it. Five jury will buy you a drink token <laughs> sent to you uh, uh, overnight mail. If you get me any of these communications between packs and campaigns. And I will say this, I, I won't publish them. I will mine them for my own content. <laughs> You'll never know. Yeah, You'll never no, know. Eventually, I don't know if your, if your campaign annoys me enough, I might publish it, but otherwise <laughs> I'm, I'm here to call you smart or stupid. 
Because to circle back around to the to the philosophical question, what I don't know, I, I haven't looked at the rule, so maybe the rule actually contemplates what I'm about to say. But what the rule is intending to say is, uh, you can't uh, you can't communicate unless it is publicized. Unless it is, you know, everybody can see it, not just yes. you. And that's what they're, they're exploiting. Like, well, it's technically public, even if it's not publicized that it's there. And, and, and that it, maybe the rule just needs to be written better. So this is, and number one, nothing's going to happen here because the FEC, as uh, Dave Leventhal has explained to us many, many times, is a totally toothless and useless organization that doesn't actually even hear cases because they often don't have enough people to do it. Uh, I imagine there's more activity at an Elks Lodge these days than at an FEC. No, it it looks like Grand Central Station compared to the FEC. However, if I were to rewrite the rules, understanding our modern technology, I would legalize the ability for PACs and campaigns to communicate with each other. They would just have to do it on and pick your platform. Don't get caught up in which platform, be it teams or discord or slack but one of these one of these kinds of things and in exchange everybody on earth can access it real time they can see your campaigns and and your packs talking back and forth to each other and that that is i think that because that's what we want we A want wiki. to just know yeah we we want to just like like what what if, if we're not in a world where we're not going to be able to separate them we're not going to yeah. be able to separate the money from the campaign. The uh, thing uh, is, though, as uh, soon as you make R. that the rule, John McCain and, and, and Russ Feingold, there's going to be things they don't want to say in there. So they'll find some other way to communicate. And that, and that would be the thing is that my thought would be, okay, well, that's easier to uh, punish. If something happens that obviously said, should have been Because you've discussed. defined it as you can say whatever you want here and nothing anywhere else. Exactly. doesn't and matter so whether it's public or not. Any conversation that yeah, you're yeah. having, it's like if, if, there's, if there's an uh, the problem, a, an the problem with that, that the pack is runs and, the and reason, it's not discussed, then then the, there's questions on why, like immediately. The, the, the problem is, though, the reason you say non-public is that you don't want you don't want to publish the pack for or punish the pack for saying something in public to everyone that someone goes, well, the reason they're saying that is to get it over there. You you want to say it's okay for you to say whatever you want in public. Well, I mean, that, the other thing is it it, it eliminates. So you're the kind excuse. of just extending public to another area at that yeah. point. Well, I, I, basically, I'm just saying here's the legitimate way that you can do it public, and also like now we'll mm. we'll, we'll restrict the other stuff, and it also does take away the excuse of when a pack runs a nasty ad that that you know covers something really gross and grody that the uh, that the campaign would never want to have their name on, and then. You know, the campaign gets all high and mighty and says, well, we have we're legally not allowed to talk to them. So we have no idea why they ran this thing, calling my opponent a murderer. That's obviously a, a, a crazy thing. Be crazy if he was, though. I mean, uh, let's all think about that. It's like that's obviously disingenuous. I would just I would just also like for them to cut the S when it comes to that. Yeah. A lot of people are saying you're right. Many, people, <laughs> many people, Tom. Uh, Daily Tech News Show. Five days a week. Uh, uh, what else? What else is on your on your docket these days? Uh, well, if you're into conversations uh, like the one we're having right now, uh, mm-hmm. direct your your podcast search to a word with Tom Merritt starting June thirtieth. 
Mm. June 30th, it will first arrive. Uh, hopefully, uh, by the time this is published, we'll have a trailer up. So, so you'll actually find it, uh, in the podcast apps, but a word with Tom Merritt, the name inspired by Justin Robert Young, uh, <laughs> a conversation I had with you. Uh, it's just me sitting down and talking with people about something for about an hour. And we try to approach it with the idea of not, here's what to think. It's not a how-to or an explainer. It's yeah. how do we think about things? How do we sift through all the information? How how do we decide what to believe? So the uh, first episode's coming June 30th uh, with uh, a, a guy... Uh, who's been doing political coverage for a long time. So it'll be very interesting to this audience. Uh, his name is Andrew Heaton. Ah, the great and powerful Andrew. Heaton. Yeah. And uh, our word for that first episode will be tribalism. Oh, look at that. I like the gimmick. I love mm -hmm. it. A word uh, and then fo following on that, I've got uh, Professor David Broadbeck uh, talking about free will. Uh, Lamar Wilson, uh, YouTube creator, talking about creator uh and annalee newitz uh the the author and and writer uh and all around smart person uh talking about categories so those will be the first four episodes again the show is called a word with tom Merritt. i can not wait uh tom thank you so much hey thanks man and that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. This show was edited by Brett Stewart. If you'd like to say thank you to Tom Merritt, it is px3guest.com, letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Send us an email, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px 3 tweets find me live on the internet px3live.com our podcast is px3podcast.com and you can find our merch at politicsmerch.com support me with a one-time donation paypal.me slash payjury venmo is justin-young-20 and our cash app is px3cash send me anything that you would like physically in the mail make it out to justin young p.o box 153184 austin texas 787 one five. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. V-Guard Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Niemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, Catherine, Persons Familiar with the Matter, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. 100 Mile Runner, Edison, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA Start, Dr. G, Headphones, Neil, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslandi and Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana Shrill Shrieks, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike who loves Frank Got Abducted, Utah, Jimmy Montana, The Gen, Adam L, D Really, Chopper, J Pink, Andrew, and Joshua. That's it. If you would like your name there, head on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. And that wraps it up for us today. 
We should have some fun stuff. I'm working on some stuff for next week, including wrapping up Pride Month. Uh, there's been an interview I've been chasing that is Pride-centric uh, uh, about gay Washington that I'm very excited about uh, uh, just because that town is obviously fascinating and uh, the the subculture there, I think, would would be very rich with storytelling possibilities. And uh, boy, well... <laughs> uh, 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 I don't know what I'm recording this on Wednesday. So there may or may not have been a thing at the beginning of this episode because of the Supreme court. I presume we will do uh, our, our biggest digging on that next week. So please enjoy that. Although I almost certainly talked about it if it happened on yesterday's Patreon episode. So Keep your uh, keep your antenna tuned. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh. Dog and Pony Show Audio.